0: Well, for our third Sunday of Advent, we get to celebrate the theme of joy. We light our third candle today. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Um, don't you just love the artwork on our, our bulletin today? I was thinking... Um, that is a very joyful angel right there. I, um, I don't know who did this. I'm going to have to find out, but brilliant. Whoever's child drew this, well done. You've raised an artist for sure. Um, I love this Sunday in, to talk about joy. I think that um, we get the, the right lens, so to speak, that um, joy is one of these things that I think occurs naturally when we're seeing correctly that so often in life we're missing the joy because we're not noticing the things that ultimately matter, the things that bring real significance. And so often it's through that little lens of the child that we get that glimpse of the things that have kind of the eternal joy to it. You, you feel it, this texture of joy. And, and it's, it's differentiated. You know, the Greeks had two words, uh, you know, separate words for happiness versus joy. They would call Macario. makario which was this sort of lightness, this free, carefree way of looking at life. And then this Cairo, which was this like deep culmination of being, you know, leave it to the Greeks. They were so brilliant with language. But, but this Cairo, it, it was something that it took maturity to really understand. The, the joy wasn't an easy emotion. It was something that had to, in a way, be cultivated within us. Cairo is something that wasn't a beginner's virtue, Right? It had to be lived into. It was come as a culmination of having lived well. And uh, I, I love this definition. I've given it to you before, but this is from Dallas Willard, where he says Joy is not about pleasure, a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support, a constant sense of well being. Curious to know, how many of you guys live with a constant sense of well-being? <laughs> you see how difficult it is, right? That The truth is we, we get glimpses of joy here and there. We get moments of it. That we have to learn how to stay open to joy. And it comes from living our life based on the right things. I um, had a friend this last week say, you know, I'm... I'm kind of giving up on living the good life and exchanging that for a life that's good. And I thought, oh gosh, I like want to sit with that for a second. Giving up the good life for a life that's good. I think in some ways that gets at joy, right? It's not the Instagrammable, spectacular, everything is just right and looks perfect. It's, it's instead this sense of deep well-being. That's not to say that we don't celebrate pleasure when it comes, that there is happiness is a wonderful thing. I, um, the other day was surfing with my friend Felipe here and I got a wave that probably went 200 yards at churches appropriately. It just went forever and ever and ever. And I thought, oh, the happiness that you feel after something like that. But the truth is the, the joy comes like when you come back out and your friends are all, oh, Right? There's a, a connection with each other, a, a connection with the, the whole context of the beauty that's around you, a, a deeper sense of God's presence that comes with joy. It's, it, we get these little glimpses, but we feel like we're seeing the way things really are, the way they're meant to be. I like how Brene says, Joy is sudden, unexpected, short-lasting, and high-intensity. It's characterized by a connection with others or with God, nature, the universe. Joy expands our thinking and attention, and fills us with a sense of freedom and abandon. I love that idea—the the freedom that comes with joy. That, um, again, where there's such in pleasure and in happiness, sometimes it's the very opposite of that. We create so much pressure for ourselves sometimes to to have happiness all the time. I. <laughs> Think of a guy that I was surfing next to yesterday who is not experiencing joy. And he, you know, you, you kind of get this feeling like he's always watching you and every time you get a wave, he's like, dang it. And so then he like takes your spot right there. So you like kind of move over because there's plenty of waves and sure enough, then I get another one and he's looking at me like, "Oh!" and then when I paddle back out, he's sitting where I was, you know, and I, I say that honestly, I, hopefully without judgment, because the, the truth is, plenty of times I've been that guy. Plenty of times I'm noticing what's wrong or what I'm not getting or what somebody else has. I'm trying to get like as many waves as I can. And as a result of it, I forget the fact that like, wow, look at this beautiful day. Look at this beautiful moment. Look at the, the great things about this moment and get over the thing that's robbing me of my joy. I think sometimes Christmas can be a little bit like that example where we come into Christmas like, all right, we got to get everything right, right? Everything's got to be perfect. We've got to like do all the things and have all the perfect gifts. And I, I like, here's your C.S. Lewis quote for the day, but he, um, he writes about this <laughs> with such a like, I think a, a beautiful sort of honesty. He says um, that this way of doing Christmas, it gives on the whole much more pain than pleasure. You have only to stay over Christmas with a family who seriously is trying to keep it in its commercial aspect in order to see that the thing is a nightmare. Long before December 25th, everyone is worn out, physically worn out by weeks of daily struggle in overcrowded shops, mentally worn out by the effort to remember all the right recipients and to think of our, um, think out suitable gifts for them. They are in no trim for merrymaking, much less if they should want to. To take part in a religious act, they look far more as if there had been a long illness in the house. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Some of you may be feeling like there's been a long illness in your house right now. Um, it's one of the things that I appreciate about Advent. It's not to say that those things don't have value, certainly they don't. They do. But the truth is that so often in our sort of attempts at merrymaking, we exhaust ourselves. Our attempts to have everything just right. All of a sudden the the joy is gone, the spark is gone, even sometimes the happiness itself is gone. Advent is this time of sort of settling ourselves back down. As we meet in church in these preparation Sundays, it's it's about focusing and remembering the things that matter most. That when we're looking at this world Correctly, we experience not just happiness, but a deep sense of joy. I love this picture of, of joy, the, the overflowing bowl. And to realize that when we're seeing clearly, this is what we're experiencing. God's presence here, and not just a little poured out, but lavishing us with joy. And like we said earlier, we oftentimes are not experiencing this for a variety of different reasons. I think that there's something about Christmas that reminds us also of some sadness and loss for some of you. It's one of the hardest seasons of all. I heard somebody once say that um, in regards to Christmas, it's one more Christmas and it's one less Christmas, that each one of these moments is a gift and sometimes we forget that that each one is pres- precious to us. I think about you know this play and this experience here, and it, it makes me very nostalgic for my, my two older ones here who lovingly are home for the holidays, and we just cherish those times, reminded that that isn't always the case. And how I think of each of my kids kind of, they each had a sort of quintessential role in the pageant. I, um, Mia was our baby Jesus. We are super proud of her, (laughs) and you are such like the sweet little roly-poly baby that Mary like threw a leg out of support as she's holding. (laughs) Gabe I think of you as like the the little wise man. He was like, there's three wise men that year, and they were like fifth graders, and then little Gabe (laughs) saying your lines. I think Lila will always just be a little sheep coming down. But you remember those times and you just go, oh, the joy of those. And then there's also that texture of like, life is this constant change. It's this constant moving through where you go, oh, to see joyfully, we have to be present and valuing this moment, this one right here. That when we do, that that light could come even into the times of sadness. Even when we see Christmas through a lens that feels like an ache, we're reminded that, that we're awaiting a sort of second Christmas, a second coming, that Christ has come to earth once and then we wait with, for that victory to unfold into a, a new chapter of a new creation. And in the meantime, we hold on to these, this little light of joy. Isaiah 9, 2 through 3, the, the prophet is speaking of the Messiah that's to come and he says, the people walking in darkness... Have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. That this light has come, and as they await this light, they're reminded of its surety. That a new chapter is coming and one of joy. That that light increases our joy as we see more and more clearly. This is what Jesus has come to do, to bring joy, to bring peace on earth. And Advent is this word that means coming. And a reminder again, we talk about this every Sunday, of a sort of tension that we live in. And already and not yet, that victory has come and yet still unfolds. This third Sunday of Advent, according to some traditions, is the the Sunday of journey. And Advent has that sense of unfolding. We're reminded that all of us are on this journey. All of us are traveling. And that this life is a difficult journey at times, one of loss and sorrow and pain. Comes into a land of darkness, this light shines. And I like how Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, Advent does not begin in buoyancy or celebration or in a shopping spree. The natural habitat of Advent is a community of hurt. It is the voice of those who know profound grief, who articulate it and do not cover it over. But this community of hurt knows where to speak its grief, toward whom to address its pain. And because the hurt is expressed to the one whose rule is not in doubt, the community of hurt is profoundly a community of hope. That all of us are on this journey following this star. And the darkness in the world we're not told to ignore. We're not told to look away from the suffering. We see it. We see a world that is broken and confused, that stumbles into violence, a world that is constantly choosing itself over others and as a result of it creating so much pain. But we become these bearers of this light. And as we follow this, we, we have a, our own sort of renewing that's taken place. That, that this following of the light results in a sort of childlike trust within us, a softening, that, that as we look at these little innocent ones, some singing maybe a little bit off key or stumbling through their lines or whatever, that sort of innocence to go, oh, that's, that's me. In some ways, that will always be me. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he, he goes on to ascribe these names to God. He, he promises this. He says, The child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And isn't it interesting that this tiny little child is re- referred to here as our Eternal Father? Jesus, the one who preceded all of creation, who was the the word spoken of creation itself. It's funny, in our first service, baby Jesus was like like just enraptured with the, the tinsel of the star, you know? And I'm picturing this little, innocent, humble child going like, oh, I made this, right? Like you go, somehow the magnitude of God is embodied in this helpless little child here. That this innocent one models for us who we are. And that it's through his eyes that we're able to see the Father's eyes towards us. That this is where the depths of joy are felt. Not just these momentary experiences of pleasure, but a deep sense that we are held in this fatherly love. There's a a painting that I've used before, but I'm going to use it again. It's one of my favorites of Joseph. And this hangs in the Norton Simon Museum. And and it's Joseph holding his child. And to me, I think there's so much in this, this gift of Jesus as this innocent one. But I, I love, don't you just love the hands in his beard? This child just enraptured with the eyes of his father. Jesus modeling really for us our response and then seeing in the eyes of Joseph God's love for us that in this picture we get this deep sense of of the very reality the thing that's behind the thing the source of all creation comes from this deep affection And, and to realize we never grow too old for this sort of love it's this Love that when it's seen correctly, makes us young. I like how Charles Spurgeon says, There's no unfathering Christ, and there's no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him. And don't we live our lives seeking after this sense of approval, looking for this affirmation, feeling like things are good as long as we've received some sort of praise of our own value. And yet the, the truth is that's where our value lies. That when we're seeing that sense of God's gracious love poured out on us, all the striving, all the seeking to possess, all of these things can be held with a sort of freedom that joy just simply is able to remain joy without us trying to turn it into something it's not. We talked about how this is a learned thing. It takes wisdom to live our lives with this kind of joy. And this is the wisdom from above. James is going to contrast that with the wisdom from below, which is this selfish pursuit, like my thing, my need, that thing that I want for Christmas, right? And he's going to say instead that the posture of heavenly wisdom... The texture looks like this. It says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. This is the posture, the permission that we have to live our lives with that sort of ease. That's what freedom feels like. It's interesting, this idea of joy in the Greek is probably more contrasted instead of like joy versus sadness, it's joy versus anxiety. That, that true joy casts out fear. That the worry and the stress, all of that way of living is the antithesis of joy. And the permission that is given through this message to be a child is to give that responsibility back to God. It's God who is the one who is doing all of this. I love how in John 1, he, he gives a little creation story as he explains the very beginning of this journey starts in this brilliant moment of creation. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And as John goes on, he's saying, it's this creation moment that's unfolding. We find where we're at in this chapter of the story, that that we're not at the end of the story. We're in the late stages of it. I like, I think it's N.T. Wright says that that chapter one is creation and chapter two is the fall. Chapter three is Israel. Chapter four is the coming of Jesus. Chapter five is the church. Chapter six is the new creation. And as we live here in chapter five, towards the end of chapter five, we're waiting this new creation. And in this creation story, what it's doing is it's turning, transforming us into something. He goes on in verse 10. He says, he was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. This is the gift and the reminder of Advent. We set our minds on this fact, that to see the truth and to recognize it for what it is, this is our hope and this is our identity, that it makes us young at heart and sets us free. That when we look at those eyes of God, we see like that painting, this love of a father looking at us affectionately. When Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, he prays that they would understand that more and more, that they could get their minds around that idea. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To understand that is to understand joy. A joy that sets us free, a joy that us, undergirds us in a constant state of well-being. Advent reminds us to look at the world through those eyes, the eyes of a child. And though we look back and we we hear this story and receive this story, if we're seeing correctly, we're able to see God at work here and now. In the little ways, in the little acts, in the little gifts that we do for each other. The ways that the church continues to be the church by caring for each other. When we do this, we make Christ manifest to those around us. I like how Peter says, Though you've not seen Him, you love Him Though not seeing him now you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy it fills us it overflows us love casts out fear casts out worry works against our selfishness and our despair joy is never something that we hold in isolation it is always something that's to be shared strengthens us when we become overwhelmed, but then we become the ones who come and bring that joy as a comfort. That it can happen even in the midst of our suffering and our loneliness and our struggle. And this is what I found in my own life is that sometimes those are the times that the light is the brightest. Times where I'm feeling really alone. Times where I'm really questioning and struggling those are the times where I feel like God has drawn nearest, where I've felt that warmth almost like just a, in such a tangible way. I do think there's some things that we can practice to help us really grasp and savor joy. Um, and the first is a little bit of patience, that we realize that seeing correctly often takes time. I, I had read a Article about this one art professor who would ask people to sit with a painting for three hours. Can you imagine? <laughs> I was like, I would lose my mind. But um, but they are saying like the responses from students in like two and a half hours later, they're like, oh, look at that. That to really see these things requires a deep attention. As Mary Oliver says, that is the beginning of devotion. I think it requires more stillness than we often possess. I don't know about you, but I like to do things. I want to like, I'll figure it out by doing things. I'll find the truth by writing it out, right? And, and sometimes we need to practice instead a stillness that we're not just paying attention. But I, I was reading that composer Hans Zimmer would, um, would sit on his hands when he was preparing a score because he knew that if he just sat down with his fingers on the keys, he'd go right back into muscle memory. He'd just do what he had already done before. So we'd sit on his hands and wait. And I thought, I think there's some wisdom in that for us as well, that to notice the things in all the hurry and all the busyness that we're, we're skimming right over the top of these things. But if we can impatient, in our patience, pay attention sit on our hands, sit still. And the last thing is that we would savor what God is doing. That we would slow ourselves down and savor every bite. There's a book that I, I pull out usually this time of year. Uh, that's, um, it's called the, the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, Wedding Supper of the Lamb by Robert Capon. And what I like about Capon is that he's a chef, and a priest. He would write for the New York Times these like little food blog or columns. Um, he's got a great one on fruitcake this type of year time of year. He's just a playful writer, but he says, Food is the daily sacrament of unnecessary goodness, ordained for a continual remembrance that the world will always be more delicious than it is useful. There's capon for you. This whimsical way of looking at it. But he's like, when you, when you create these meals and savor each bite, this is the way to approach all of life. That life, when seen right, will always be more delicious than it is useful. Chesterton writes it like this. He says, children are grateful when Santa Claus puts in their stockings gifts of toys or sweets. Could I not be grateful to Santa Claus when he put in my stockings the gift of two miraculous legs We thank people for birthday presents of cigars and slippers. Can I thank no one for the birthday present of birth? And do you see what he's doing there, right? He's going, oh my gosh, we are constantly looking for the next thing that we need and failing to see all that we've been given. The richness all around us, the deep affection of God's love poured out on each one of us. That we should be going through life going, oh, wow. Look at that. Look at that. Again and again and again. This is how a child sees the world, right? Again, again. We're the ones who grow old and sin. God is constantly inviting us to become young. I thought, you know, as we bring this to a close, and just hope this serves as a reminder for us all, that as we approach Christmas, we slow ourselves down. We've got just one more week left as we prepare our hearts. Let's savor each day of it. And may we realize that it's this world that Jesus came to. I thought I would close with a a poem I've read for you guys before. It's from Wendell Berry. And um, once again, I like these kind of bivocational guys, like Wendell Berry is... A poet and a theologian, but he's also a farmer. And he had a barn of his and realized that it was this world to which Jesus came, which means it could just as easily have been his barn that Jesus was born in. And this is called sighted as not before, this idea of seeing correctly. And he says, Remembering that it happened once, we cannot turn away the thought as we go out cold to our barns toward the long night's end that we ourselves are living in the world it happened in when it first happened, that we ourselves opening a stall, a latch thrown open countless times before, might find them breathing there. foreknown, the child bedded in straw, the mother kneeling over him, the husband standing in belief, he scarcely can believe in light that lights them from no source we see. In April's morning's light, the air around them as joyful as a choir. We stand with one another at the door, looking into another world that is this world, the pale daylight coming just as before, our chores to do, the cattle all awake, our own frozen breath hanging in front of us. And we are here as we have never been before, sighted as not before, our place holy, although we knew it not. Stand with me. We have lunch for you, goodies and snacks and all kinds of things. We invite you to linger and savor as you go on this third Sunday of Advent. May God richly bless you with the living waters of his joy. May the light of the love of the Father illuminate you and manifest in your heart and shine through you. May his joy be your strength and may the giving away of that joy to others and the only way that you can do be the light you shine on the world around you. Amen.